0: Morning. Ooh. Now we're awake. Now we're good to go. We good? Welcome. It's great to have you here. Um, yeah, a special welcome to if you're visiting here. Obviously, Andrew made very clear that a girl and a woman that I'm very much adoring is here, Nana. It's great to see <laughs> Thanks for coming. Even though I know that you're not really here for me. <laughs> Um but no, it's great to uh have you here and uh we're really I guess launching into this um this year or a lot of our ministries are kicking off this week and, and we've prayed for that. And um we're starting a new series today looking at, at Hezekiah and um and then we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing some songs at the end. And really the heart I guess of this message and the time that we're gonna spend after that is uh one of of repentance, one of coming back to God, one of like renewing uh, our relationship with Him, and that that would really be the focus for us as we kick off this year. That it wouldn't be about these new crazy programs and, you know, big sort of, oh, this is a vision for 2020, and it's like really clear and all these little puns around that. But it's just, you know what? This is the direction God's got us on. As a church, we are moving in following Jesus. And so we want to keep pressing deeper into that, going deeper into our relationship with Him and renewing that. And that renewal is not just a once-off thing. It's a continual thing that God is doing in our world. And so uh, that's what we want to be looking at. And I want to, I guess, really challenge you and ask you to think about, for you and your life, for your family, for our ministries, what does it look like for us to move in following Jesus this year? That's really question and that's really what, as a church what we want to be focusing on what does it look like for us to move forward in following jesus and uh, a really great description i've heard of what it means to follow jesus to be with him to become like him to do the things he did as go as individuals as families as a church if we could do that this year be with jesus become like him do the things he did then i think we're on the right track and that only happens as we depend on Him. It only happens as we work together as a church. And so that's what we were going to be looking at. And we're going to be looking at King Hezekiah's this few little chapters in Second Chronicles, um, and it's also in Second Kings. I'm going to look at that in a moment. But first off, renewal. What are we talking about when we talk about renewal? I thought it's probably good to define it. We probably think very differently about what it looks like. Um, so I went to the great source of Google. Uh, typed in definition, and got renewal. One, an instance of resuming something after an interruption. I don't know about you, but I think I look back over my January, and my walk with God was a little interrupted. (laughs) You know, you go on holidays, you go away, you relax. All your routines and rhythms and spiritual practices that I spent so much time learning about and doing just sort of like had a little interruption. Maybe that's okay, I don't know, but... I don't know about you, what is, maybe your walk with God has been interrupted, whether that's over the last day or last week or so. Maybe it's been a year or two, a season that you're in where there's just been this interruption to your faith and you feel like, I haven't really moved forward at all. Maybe today is a chance to renew that. Or the second definition of like the replacement or repair of something. And, and this, I like. I read that, and I go, yes, that's what we need in like in our world, in our lives. We see the brokenness of our society and brokenness maybe in our homes and in our own lives. And you know, we we cry out for God to repair, to restore, to renew. Um, we prayed beforehand, and Shane just prayed this prayer of like, may what happens here not just be about here, <laughs> may it move out. You know, we've got a whole bunch of builders out there that don't know Jesus. We've got neighborhoods and schools and all these people that need renewal, whether they quite know it or not, whether they find it like that or not. We believe that they need something of renewal. They need that repair of a relationship with God. So my prayer this morning is that that would be us that would come back to God that we would be able to renew ourselves and our relationship with him, and that would be. An ongoing thing. For some, it might be like the first time. For many of us, I'm guessing it's an ongoing thing that we're continuing to renew our relationship with God. Because at the end of the book, in Revelation 21, that's what Jesus says. That's what he says that I'm doing. Revelation 21, it says, Behold, I am making all things new. Very last page of the Bible, that's what Jesus says. That's what I'm doing in this world. I am making all things new doesn't mean he's destroying everything and like creating all this new stuff out of nothing but that he's taking what was old and he's renewing it in such a way that it looks so different at the end that's what Jesus is doing in our world through his kingdom and through his presence here with us and so for me my simple definition of renewal that we want to look at and keep in mind as we go through today is becoming more and more the people that God has designed and called us to be We're talking about renewal, becoming more and more the people that God has designed or called us to be. That's it. Moving in, following Christ, being with Him, becoming like Him, doing the things He did. And that's, I think, a definition that works for us as individuals, and it's something that also works for us as a church, as a community, as families. And no matter where you are in your journey with God, I believe that like, that renewal journey starts with recognizing and repenting from our decline. And so, as we look at Hezekiah, we actually need to track back a little bit and see the, some of the context beforehand with his father. So, are you ready to like Bible nerd out a little bit with me? Cool, okay, three of you are ready. Um, So King Hezekiah, to understand, we need to look at the context. Um, Basically, if you know the story of Israel, there was like the judges. They didn't go so well. The people were crying out for a king. And so there was King Saul. Yeah, who was after King Saul? King David. King David was like the height of Israel, sort of the golden age, I guess. Uh, All the kings afterwards are compared back to David. And so King David is like the height. And then his son Solomon... Um, starts off and continues that for a while, and then it goes downhill pretty quick, so much so that his family uh, splits the kingdom. And there's now Israel in the north, which you can see on the map there, and there's the kingdom of Judah in yellow belowhand. So from then on, there's two kingdoms operating separately, doing their own things. God is still present with both of them, but it looks different and it's messy, messy, messy. And what begins to happen in our context, which is like 700 BC, is there's these people called the Assyrians just taking over the world. I think we've got a map of that. That's like the, empire, the Assyrian Empire around 700 BC. And you can see Israel and Judah there near the Mediterranean Sea are tiny. They're literally taking over like the whole world of the time. And they are on Israel's doorstep at the time of King Ahaz. And uh, he's seeing what's happening. And God is allowing them to take over his people and to really, I guess, punish his people for their sin and their idolatry. And so I think next we've got like a little timeline of like the kings. And it's very hard to see, sorry. Um, but you can see this is all sort of where we're at. Uh, it's sort of on the right hand side is Israel and their kings and the red line is where they finish. They get taken off into captivity. And then the yellow on the left is Hezekiah with Ahaz, his dad, just above. So you can get a bit of a gist of like the context, what's going on. 700 BC, Assyrian Empire taking over the world. And Israel are like, they're surrounded. And Judah is next in line. And so what you get with King Ahaz... Is he's, he's heard the warnings there's all these prophets like Isaiah is writing during this time, um, as well as Micah they're both the prophets around this time there's warnings to King Ahaz, he sees this like empire coming, they're on israel's doorstep, they're attacking israel and Ahaz like he's got all these warning signs of God saying, "Hey, you need to come back and instead he does the complete opposite. He literally goes all in on his idolatry and his sin. And uh, I thought it'd be good to read it. So if you've got your Bibles, let's look at 2 Chronicles 28. It'll be on the screen as well. Um, We're just going to read the first four verses and then we're going to read the last five. I think we've got it. King Ahaz. Uh, First thing we read is 20 years old. Who is he? Who is 20 years old? Stand up. Stand up, our 20-year-olds. Come on. I got stitched up at the start of the service. I'm going to stitch some others up. All right. So, very good. Someone like these guys has become king of Judah. You can take a seat now. All right. Very good. So, so, I'm just making sure we're not just reading stories in a book that's like, this is real life that happened. All right. So, 2 Chronicles 28 says this. Ahaz was 20 years old. When he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord, as his father David had done. But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He even made metal images for the Baals, and he made offerings in the valley of the sun and Hinnom. And he burned his sons as an offering, according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed, and he made offerings on the high places and on the hills under every tree. So every story of the kings starts with like a summary at the start. That is not the greatest summary you want of your life. They also end with a summary. Look, flick ahead to verse 22. It tells a story about how um, the Assyrians were on their doorstep and King Ahaz tried to reach out to help for help, but he reached out to the king of Assyria rather than to God. So verse 22, it says this, In the time of his distress, when he should have turned to God, Instead, he became yet more faithless to the Lord, this same King Ahaz. For he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus that had defeated him. And he said, Because the gods of kings of Syria helped them, I'll sacrifice to them that they may help me. But they were the ruin of him and of all Israel. And Ahaz gathered together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of the God. And he shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made for himself Altars in every corner of Jerusalem. In every city of Judah he made high places to make offerings to other gods, provoking to anger the Lord, the God of his fathers. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways, from the first to the last, behold, they are written in the book of kings of Judah and Israel. And Ahaz slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him into the tombs of the kings of Israel. And Hezekiah his son reigned in his place. So this is like, in the story of Chronicles, this is like the darkest moment. Every other king mentioned in Chronicles has some sort of positive feature. There's something positive about their life. And yet for Ahaz, there's nothing. There's nothing positive recorded about him. It's like, this is the absolute lowest point. He's been faithless to God. There's no honor for him in his death. He's been given chances, warnings, but instead of turning to God, he just follows along with the nations around him. He just follows the culture around him. Because, well, things are going well with them, so why, don't, why wouldn't I do what they would do? When you put it like that, I go, oh, maybe that's a bit more real for us. I mean, we wouldn't do that, would we? We wouldn't just go along with the people around us. or We wouldn't, would we? Idolatry is rampant. Every corner of the city, every city in Judah, there's altars, there's high high places set up. You see, because it's it's easy to read something in a page of like something that's well over 2,000 years ago. It's 700 BC and we just go, oh, that's them. They had idols. They were bad people. But I wonder, like, do we see it in our own lives? When we're talking about idolatry, when we're talking about being faithless to God, when we're talking about a spiritual decline, it's easy to read it in pages, in a book. It's easy to see it in other people sometimes. But do we see it in our own lives? That's really what I want to look at because I think the big part of renewal is recognizing our decline. And let, If we don't recognize our decline, there's no point to renew. If we don't recognize our own sin and brokenness, well, then we'll just think, oh, we're fine. We just keep going the way that we're going, but maybe we've drifted from God. Maybe we're just going with the flow, following the nations around us. Maybe for us, it just looks a bit different. Maybe for us, we hear about you know our friends and their uh investment portfolio and their uh big houses down by the beach, and we think, "Oh, that's good for them. We may as well just do that too, and we just go along with it without even actually thinking about it or praying about it or considering God in it. Maybe we see our our friends, you know, they're partying every weekend, they're having a great time, and so I'm just going to do what they do because they're having fun. It's not hurting them or anyone around them. Like, can't be that bad. Just go along with the flow. Maybe we just sign up to all these commitments, get our kids in every single group that they could be in because that's what all their friends are doing and that's what everyone else is doing so it seems to be going pretty well, so I'm just gonna do what they do, and we get really busy and overwhelmed. Like I was reminded this week that like we're in a spiritual battle. It's a war zone. And often I think don't think we think like that because it's like not what our culture our culture is like totally non spiritual in a way. They've pushed God out and so we don't think every day that like it's a spiritual battleground but it is and there's no neutral zones in this battleground we're either moving towards jesus or moving away like that's the options and if you're not sure (laughs) which way it's going if it's not towards jesus then it's away from him there's no neutral there's no just like i'm just just chilling today it's not how it works So my question is not to sort of guilt trip us or to like, man, it's pretty heavy for like like almost first Sunday back in church, but my question is, do we see it? Do we recognize it? You know, how, how do you get a frog in hot water? If the water's boiling hot, the frog doesn't get in, touches the water and gets out. So instead, I mean, this is what I've been told. I haven't done this myself. But instead, you put the frog in cold water And you slowly heat it up to the point where it doesn't even recognize how hot the water gets and it it dies out. Is that us? Are we just going along with the flow? Frogs eventually in growingly hot water. And this decline is serious because it eventually leads to our death. It eventually leads us away from God in such a point where God says, okay, your way. We cannot just go with the flow. We cannot just follow the nations around us. And maybe it doesn't lead us to set up metal idols like for Ahaz. I'm guessing we don't have golden calves or asherah poles or anything like that in our house. But I'm guessing there's some idols in our lives. And my question is, do we even know what that looks like? Do we even know the things that are taking the place of God in our life? One way to assess So ask yourself, what's capturing your mind's attention? What do you keep thinking about? Where do you keep going? Or another way, another question I often like, what are we trusting to save us? What are we trusting to fulfill our lives? Or if you want to get super practical, where is our time, our money, and our energy going? Some questions to you to wrestle with this week. Essentially, what are we worshiping that isn't God. And sometimes they can be good things. Like, think about work. Work work is a good thing. That's probably what the young people need to hear. Work is a good thing. But when, it's get, when, it, when it gets twisted by like an ungodly ambition and becomes like the sole focus of our lives, then it becomes an idol. On the flip side, rest is a good thing. Maybe something for some of the older people. Rest is a good thing that God has given us. And yet when it becomes twisted and we just sort of get really lazy and just seeking all the leisure that we want, then it becomes a bit of an idol. But both in their proper place, in obedience to God, being faithful to Him, then they can be an act of worship. And so that's the hard thing about idolatry for us, is is, it's more about our hearts rather than maybe what's on the physical outside. So what does it look like in your life? We need to ask ourselves, assess these questions. Maybe ask God. Ask God, what are the idols in my life? What are the things getting in the way? And one of the things that I've been convicted of over the last month or so as I've been reading different things and thinking about it is that it's really like I'm just distracted. very distracted. Quickly get busy. Lots of things going on and not actually taking enough time just to be with God slow down and uh, came across this quote. And I think this will resonate with us because, like I said, I think when we're talking about idolatry, it's probably not heaps of evil things. It's just some good things that begin to get in the way. Uh, I think it's the next one. Although that's a good one too. But we'll skip that. No, all good. Um, the one from Ronald. Yeah, okay. all good, all good. There we go. Ronald Rollerheiser. What a name. Um, says this, We, for every kind of reason... Good and bad are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. I had to stop right there. Am I distracting myself into spiritual oblivion? It's not that we have anything against God or depth or spirit. We would like these, and it's just that we are habitually too preoccupied to have any of these things show up on our radar screens. We are more busy than bad, more distracted than non spiritual and more interested in the movie theater, the sports stadium and the shopping mall and the fantasy life they produce in us than we are in church. Pathological busyness, distraction and restlessness are major blocks today within our spiritual lives. Okay, <laughs> yeah, that's heavy. But it hit me because I think it resonated with me. I don't think any of us are against being with Jesus, becoming like Him and doing the things He did. I think we all think, we're we're all probably here because we think, actually, that's a great idea. I want that life. I read those stories and I go, yes, I want that. But maybe we're too too preoccupied. Maybe there's too much in our lives and maybe we need to actually look at the the idolatry that creeps in from the outside world. What are the idols? Do we recognize to decline in our lives our families in our church because that is absolutely key for us in renewal now sounds a bit hopeless but we're going to move to King Hezekiah King Ahaz he was bad evil King Hezekiah there's hope ready and welcome Joe to my first sermon that you've heard <laughs> a bit heavy but no, the beauty of God is that, that He doesn't give up on us. He didn't give up on the people of Israel and Judah. They did some horrible things and they worshipped idols for a long time and yet He did not give up on them. And the same with us. In Romans it says that while we're still sinners, while we're still busy doing our own thing, while we're still worshipping other gods, idols in our lives. While we're still sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we had it all together. It wasn't when we had sort of prioritized our heart correctly. No, while we're still sinners, that's when Christ died for us. That's when He comes in and He chooses to renew us and to restore us by His grace. And that's the beauty of God, that He restores and He can renew us. You know, about a month or so ago, I was driving through New South Wales and, you know, one of the roads had been blocked and then a few days later we were able to drive on it because of the bushfires and I did not take that photo but it does look good and it gives you the point that you know it was black all these trees were burnt and then it rained and we drove on the road a couple of days later and already within a couple of days there was these shoots of green. Even in nature God has built in this this renewal into it. And He can do it in our lives. The Bible talks time and time again how God, He brings ruins to life. He brings beauty to ashes. He restores and He renews and He makes new. And you know, if we feel God convicting our hearts of our sin, that is not because He wants to lead us into a boring life of religion and like, okay, I need you to follow the rules now, please. No, God wants to lead us into a life of freedom. His Spirit leads us to life. Read through Romans 8, and it's all about how the Spirit gives life. He renews us so that He can bring this life to us. So let's have a look at King Hezekiah. But just think about for a minute. What would you do in his shoes? Your father, King of Judah, he had offered your siblings as sacrifices to other gods. He'd set up altars in every corner of the city, high places in every other city in the country. He's been one of the worst, most evil kings. And you, you get to be king after him. Where would you go? What would you do? Let's have a look. 2 Chronicles 29 will be on the screen. It says this, Hezekiah began to reign when he was 25 years old. And he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Here's a beautiful line. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Very first thing he does, we're not going the same way my father did. We're turning back to God and we're going to seek Him. We're opening up the temple again. We're repairing the doors and we're turning to Him. In the first year, in the first month. Verse 4. He brought in the priests and the Levites and he assembled them in the square on the east. And He said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For our fathers have been unfaithful in what is done. What was evil in the sight of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. They also shut the doors of the vestibule, and put out the lamps and not burnt incense or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. Therefore the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem and he has made them an object of horror, of astonishment and of hissing as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword and our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that His fierce anger may turn away from us. My sons, do not now be negligent, for the Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence to minister to Him and to be His ministers and to make offerings to Him. And uh, we'll look at the rest later. But Hezekiah says, First thing we're doing, open the doors back to God. Sure, we've messed up. <laughs> we've been faithless. And we've seen the judgment of God, but we are turning back to Him. And so we see these words repeated. You know, we see that, okay, He's recognized the decline, but He's also now felt the conviction of the Spirit to move a different direction to move back to God, to clear out the temple, to get rid of the idols. And we see two words repeated, and we don't have time to read it all, but two words is consecrate and cleanse. They're the words I kept coming across. Like God, that God, he, through Hezekiah, he says we're going to cleanse the temple, and we're going to consecrate ourselves. And they're a bit sort of, I guess, old school words, but cleanse just literally means to make clean or to make pure. And I think that's the first step, that, that's a key step for us, is to, to recognize some of the idols in our lives, to recognize the sin and our decline, and that in that it becomes clear that actually I need some cleaning, <laughs> I need some purifying. You know, John Calvin said the human heart is an idol factory. I'm sure that we can recognize some, but the good news is that God is in the business of renewing and restoring hearts of His people. In Ezekiel 36, that's what God says. He says, I'll, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit. I'll take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That God is going to renew and restore our hearts. Psalm 51. Have a read of that this week. David gets convicted of his sin and we get his response. He gets convicted. The prophet comes to him and he writes this poetic song of Repentance. What does he say? Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He recognizes that actually God's the one who can clean this idol factory. God's the one who can purify my heart, make us white as snow. He's the one who forgives. His grace covers a multitude of sins. And so he's the one that we turn to, to deal with the broken heart, to deal with the heart that turns to other things. He's the one that cleanses. But there's also this key word of consecrate. Consecrate means to set apart or to make holy. It's the same word that God says when he creates the world and he creates six days and it says the seventh day he consecrated it. He made it holy. He set it apart as the Sabbath. That was to be a day that was different, a day that had a different purpose, a day that was different to all the others. And so this passage then talks about how Hezekiah said, we're going to not just clean, this, clean the temple, we're going to get rid of all the idols, but we're also going to set it apart. We're also going to say that, you know what, this is different. This is, this is consecrated. This is a holy place where God's going to be present and He's going to do something in our nation, in our city. And as I was reading this, I was just convicted that like we need to be cleansed and consecrated, that they are both key to our repentance you know JB shares a good illustration with our youth last year about you know if you're dirty you get in the shower you clean off but what you don't do after that is put back your dirty clothes and go and dig holes in the mud again that's just ruining the point of getting clean and i think that's for many of us that's i think how we treat our repentance often is we feel convicted of our sin We pray the prayer, we ask for forgiveness, we put the worship song on, and then we go back again into the same life, the same patterns, same behaviors. And there's another step that we miss, the step of consecrating, the step of, you know, okay, I I feel a conviction, I repent of the sin, I, I ask for forgiveness, but then there's a step again of consecrating ourselves. Saying, you know what, actually God, I want to be set apart. I want to do things different. I want to pursue holiness. I want to be with you. I don't want to go back to that. You know, we talk about repentance being this sort of 180 degree turn. And I think just praying the prayer and asking for forgiveness is only 90 degrees. There's more to go. And that's the step of consecrating, the step of saying, you know what? Actually, God, make me holy. Use me again in your kingdom, in your ways. I don't want to keep getting dirty. I'm clean and I want to stay clean. That's the movement of repentance. You know, and the Bible talks about this. The Bible talks about confessing our sins. And, you know, in 1 John it says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives and He cleans. But we often don't like the second one as much. In James, where he says, Therefore, confess your sins, not to God. Confess it to one another. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has a great power as it is working. So we pray to God and we ask for forgiveness and we confess our sin to Him. And He's faithful just. He cleanses cleanses us from our righteousness. We have a right standing with God and we're forgiven and free. But I believe there's a second step in our repentance to turn to each other, to let God work through the people around us that we may be healed, we may be whole, that we may move closer to Jesus. And We need both. That's true repentance. True repentance is both, not just one or the other. And so if we're feeling God convicting of us of sin and idolatry, then my prayer is that we'll keep in step. The Bible warns us really clearly not to quench the Spirit or not to grieve the Spirit, not to push it away, but instead to keep in step, to follow, to turn to God who forgives, who restores, who renews, who cleanses us, and that as we do that, we begin to work together we begin to set ourselves apart and we get to get ready to be used by God. Because that's the beautiful thing is that God renews people who then join Him in renewing people. Or is how we put in our church. God moves people to follow Christ who then move other people to follow Christ. So if we recognize our repentance, we recognize our decline, we repent, consecrating, and cleanse. But then there's this verse in in verse 29 at the end of that passage. um, It says, All the utensils and King Ahaz he discarded in his reign when he was faithless. This is what the priest said We have made ready and consecrated, and behold, they before the altar of the God. So he, like, cleaned out the temple, got rid of all the idols, and then, you know, there was a process that had to happen. They spent 16 days cleaning up the temple and restoring everything in it. Sometimes there's a bit of work to be done. Sometimes it takes a bit of time to let God cleanse us and and get rid of some of the idols in our lives. But then after that process, it says that we are ready. And next week, Andrew's going to look at what it means to restore us into worship which is sort of the second half of the chapter. But for now, you know, that's really, I guess, the end point of repentance is that we recognize our sin, we repent, we turn back to God, but then we set ourselves apart and we say, you know what, I'm ready. Ready for this renewal. Ready to join with God. We have a role to play and God God wants to use us in His plan to renew all things. You know, that verse 11 where um, King Hezekiah turns to the the Levites and says, My sons, do not now be negligent. For the Lord has chosen you to stand in His presence, to minister to Him, and to be His ministers and make offerings to Him. You see, Hezekiah took the Levites and the priests and said, You have a role to play in this. It's what we're doing, but you're going to be a part of it. And through Jesus, through His sacrifice, we actually have the same role. The New Testament talks about that we are a royal priesthood. And there's other verse that talks about the kingdom of priests. That was to be the nation of Israel that in Revelation talks about that's the church. The kingdom of priests. The royal priesthood. The people who stand before God and before people and minister and join Him in renewal. Join him in his project of making all things new. And what a privilege that is. What an exciting project that would be. Jesus said, I'm making all things new. And then he chooses us, cleanses us, forgives us by his grace, not by our works. And then invites us to then walk with him in that project. Walk with him into that kingdom of all things new. And we, we get to see it. We get to see people around us. People here, that their lives are being made new. We see change. We see His grace at work. We see this little pocket that we're in, in in Scoresby. And we see things slowly being made new. We see God at work. We see community being formed. We see people who are lonely starting to find some friends and community. You know, we see, it. we see it in Africa. If you haven't seen Luke's video, he just did like a little two-year recap. And they've made lives new. Seeing young people raised up, going into their country, making a difference. We see renewal at work and we see a world that cries out for it. You know, the other quote I had out there later, we don't need it now, but you know, Mark says, he talks about in his book that like, our world is, is, is crying out. That our society promises so much and what we're beginning to see is that it delivers so little. We get promised the good life and then we fall into anxiety and we fall into mental health struggles and we see family breakdown and we see our world, you know, we see suffering and people not knowing how to cope with it. And in a way, they're crying out for renewal which comes through the kingdom of priests that God has chosen to go into the world and to shine His light. doesn't mean it'll all be rosy and easy. <laughs> doesn't mean it'll all be perfect, but it means that God is, is ready and wanting to move. And He's looking for a people who will say, actually, what, here I am. Use me. Here I am. Renew me. <laughs> Change my heart. Renew a right spirit within me that I may walk with you, that we may walk with him into this world. God's not looking for perfect people. (laughs) He's not looking for people to have it all together. But I believe he is looking for people who are ready. People will say, you know what, here I am. And what could God do with a group of 120, 50 people in Scoresby, with a bunch of kids and youth who are in all these different schools, with some young adults who are in different workplaces and in universities, and what could God do through us in his world? If we just said, "Here I am. I'm ready. I'm set apart. I've consecrated myself. I want you to use me. I want you to renew me and restore me. Will we be ready for God to renew our lives? Or are we too busy distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion, preoccupied with our idols? Will we be ready for God to use us? Now I'm going to invite our music team up and we're going to sing some songs to finish off. But before we do that, I think yeah, you guys can come up and I think we've got Psalm 24, a few verses on the screen. Psalm of David where it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. I believe that's what I feel like God is looking for with me and I think us. That the generation of those who seek Him. Generation who turn their face and said, yeah, that's where I want to go. That's the direction I want to head. I want to, I want to follow Jesus. I'm not going to get perfect. I'm not going to get it right. But the generation of those who seek Him are the generation who know His grace, who know His love, who know His life And that in following Him, we are renewed and restored. And then we get to join Him and bring that to the world around us. And so we're going to spend some time singing and we're going to sing a few songs and I want to encourage you to use this time to turn back to God. Whatever that looks like for you in your life. If you want to tap someone on the shoulder and ask them to pray for you, Go for it. If there's something on your heart, you go, actually, I want to see some renewal in this area, and there's one of these posters that you want to write something on, go for it. If you just need to sing and just cry out to God and say, you know what, God, purify my heart. Take the center place of my life again. Let's respond to God and His work. Let's turn to Him as a church, trusting that He forgives, that He cleanses, that He consecrates, and that He uses His people to make all things new. Amen? Let's stand. Let's sing.